we have been through some stuff in our lives. Some of you are old enough to be my, my parents. Some of you can be my colleagues. Some of you can be my children. But no matter where you are on the span of life, we've been through some ups and downs. And even though we may have been broken, we're not worthless. Broken crayons can still color. Not only can they color, but they can color well. You know, I want to share with you number two. Boundaries are for protection, not punishment. Boundaries are for protection, not punishment. Uh, I'm going to give you a quick story here. There was a company that wanted to make a playground. And so they called the architects together and they called the workers to come build this playground. So they found a lot and they built the monkey bars, the swings, the slide, the seesaw, all those things. And it looked brand spanking new. And they put a sign, the park is open for all children to play. And when the children came, those who built the playground were watching from a distance. And as they watched the children, they noticed something strange. They saw none of the children playing freeze tag or frisbee or tossing a football or kicking a soccer ball. The kids were only playing around the apparatus, around the seesaw, around the swings, around the slide, etc. Something's wrong with this. So then they closed down the playground and went back to the drawing board. They said, I think what's missing is a fence. So they went now and they built an iron fence around this playground. The playground was built at an intersection. So cars going this way, cars going that way, and you have the playground right there. So now when they reopened the playground, the children came in, saw the iron fence, and when the builders sat back to watch, now the kids were playing freeze tag and frisbee and chasing people along with playing on the swings and everything else. The difference was because they saw the boundaries, they felt freedom. Without the boundaries, they were scared that a car might lose its track and come on the field and hit one of them. And I tied that quickly to what we call the Ten Commandments. I call it restricted freedom. The only way to have freedom is to be restricted. How is that possible, Pastor? Simple. What if when we left church today, there were no traffic lights, no stop signs? Just drive. Would you feel free? No. You want restrictions. You want that red light. Amber, green. You want that. You want that red stop sign because it gives you freedom to drive. So God says, in this crazy world we're living in, here are some restrictions to give you freedom. So, once again, boundaries are, not for, are, are for protection, not for punishment. And it goes beyond the commandments. Wait till you're married to have marital relations. 
Amen? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't, a lot of things can happen if you don't. You know what I'm talking about. Our last appetizer. I have to go run to the car to get these two coins. I have to ask someone to help me as well. But I'm holding in my hand a nickel and a dime. What can these two coins tell us? Besides five cents, 10 cents, they're both silver. Well, look what I found. It says, sometimes your circle decreases in size, but increases in value. <laughs> sometimes your circle decreases in size, but increases in value. What that supposed to mean? Not everyone's supposed to be in your circle. Not everyone is supposed to be in your circle. When I was in camp, working at camp about 25 years ago, my, my, uh, my camp director said this statement, which made me say, what? Please unpack that. During worship that, that morning, he said to us, God calls us to love everyone, not to like everyone. I was like, break that down for me, please. He said, God calls us to love everyone, not to like everyone. Loving someone means I will be there for you in your time of need. Liking someone means let's roll in the same circle together. Follow me here. I have some friends from my high school days who I love, but I may not have them come to my house because of their lifestyle. It may give a wrong picture to my sons on what it is to be a man. I may hang out with them on my own, but I have a nucleus at my home trying to foster here. And so I want them to understand what it is from the perspective I learned from the word. If someone else says, I don't care about the word, I'm gonna live my own life, that is your prerogative, but I'm not gonna put you into my bubble while I'm trying to cultivate what the word says. Amen. If you call me, say I have a flat tire, I'm coming to help you, but I won't drive you to my house. <laughs> okay, so, so you have to love everyone, but liking is something a step Past, step past. You know, it's uh, always my uh, custom to have my introduction on the main platform and then preach the sermon on the regular floor level. Why? The Bible says that Christ says, if I be lifted up, I will draw a man to myself. So I need Christ as well. I'm going to be at the foot of the cross. It's like you are. And so the main thrust of today's sermon comes from the verse, Numbers 22, verse 19, which says, but stay here one more night and I will see if the Lord has anything else. Say anything else. Anything else? Anything else? 
to say to me. Let us bow our heads as we learn some lessons from a donkey entitled Anything Else. Let's bow our heads, please. Moment of prayer and song. Let the words of my mouth bring you praise. Let the words that I speak be seasoned with your love and grace. May the things, O oh Lord, that I choose to And people of God said together, amen. You know, it had to be God's providence because this morning when I was sitting in our Sabbath school class, they made a comment saying, what if we uh, were like the old days of the Bible and we read the Bible in church? And I was like, did they know what I'm going to preach today about? <laughs> but back in those days, they probably read chapters upon chapters, books upon books. But today, we're going to read one chapter. Numbers chapter 22. New Living Translation. Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, this mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor, near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on people you curse. Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, sent out with money to pay Balaam to place a curse upon Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message to him. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night God came to Balaam and asked him, Who are these men visiting you? 
Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I'll be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, do not go with them. He said, what? Do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, go on home. The Lord will not let me go with you. So the Moab officials returned to King Balak and reported, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak tried again. This time, he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message. This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of God. Look at verse 19. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. Anything else to say to me. That night, God came to Balaam and told him, Since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but you only do what I tell you to do. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, the donkey saw the angel and it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have you done to, what have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. 
but I am sure. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hands. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you're stubbornly, you have stubbornly resisted me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam went on with Balak's officials. When King Balak heard that Balaam was on the way, he went out to meet him at a Moabite town on the Armin River at the farthest border of this, his land. Didn't I send you an urgent invitation? Why didn't you come right away? Balak asked Balaam, didn't you believe me when I said I would reward you richly? Balaam replied, look, now I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam accompanied Balak to Karath Husat, where the king sacrificed cattle and sheep. He sent portions of the meat to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Barmathabal. From there, he could see some of the people of Israel spread out below him. Anything else? The context is set in number 22 to 24, those three chapters. Israel was there, camped out on the plain of Moab, near the culmination of their 40 years of wandering in the desert. Balak was the king of Moab and saw what happened to the other nations in the neighborhood that stood against the Israelites. The king was frightened. Consequently, he hired a well-known prophet, King Balak, wanted to issue a curse against Israel in order that the Moabites could defeat them and get them out of the picture. Balaam, the prophet of the Lord, looks like a true man of God. He took the time to ask God what to do, and he listened when God told him not to go with Balak's men. The king sent him the king sent his men back a second time with more money, bribery, to persuade him to go curse Israel. And again, he refused. From the surface, it appears that he is steadfast in his obedience until you read verse 19. Once you take a closer look, Balaam actually wants to do what the Lord does not want him to do. 
The words, anything else, are critical in this narrative. When he heard, there's more money involved? You're going to up the ante? God already told him no. Well, let me sleep on it again. Maybe if, see if God has another answer. Why? That money looked too good to him. I can't pass it up. Anything else the Lord has to say for me? We all do this from time to time. And it's never a good thing, church. However, God allows us to do what we want to do. This is known as his permissive will. In other words, he will sometimes allow us to do things we insist on doing, even when what we desire directly opposes his will. Does the Bible have examples about this? Oh, I sure think so. How about David saw that beautiful woman bathing on top of a building, Bathsheba, and said, I got to be with her. That wasn't his wife. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Her husband is one of his soldiers. Uriah. He's like, oh, now she's pregnant. I got to make it before her stomach starts to show. I have to make it where her husband sleeps with his wife before it's obvious. So he'll think it is his baby. So he says, he says, hey, Uriah, don't stand guard for me now. Come on home and relax with your wife. So Uriah's like, you are my king. I will stand guard at your palace. I will not do anything else. I will stand here. No, 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 no. Come on. Come on, please. Go have another honeymoon with your wife. I will not. I will sit out the gate and stand guard. He said, now I got to go to plan B. If he won't do it, I have to kill him in a secret way. Disguise my way to kill him. Put him in the front line of the army. So when the enemy comes, he's dead. I don't have to ask any questions. Anything else? Moses kills that Egyptian. A guy, Moses was a guy who, when he was a baby, was put in that little basket to float, to preserve his life, became a warrior for God. But now he sees this Egyptian and he kills him. And now God has to say, hey, you got you to gotta pay for that a little bit. You know, when, when David had that premarital affair, he went in his corners to write that Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O Lord. His guilt was on him so much. Started to write, I don't know, with a feather, whatever he used, he wrote, purge me with hyssop. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. That guilt was on him. Why? Because anything else. He knew what God wanted for his life, but something else superseded it. Yeah, but those are biblical examples. What about 
real day examples. We date, marry that person despite God's disapproval. That person is so good to you, you feel, but God has written in his word who should be together. Now, I'm not saying that there is one person on the planet for you. I'm saying there is a guideline on who God says you should be with, a guideline. I don't believe there's only one person on this planet. You've got to find out one person. You know. But there's a guideline, a rubric. The person that you want to be with has to fall into. But someone outside that rubric, but you feel like, well, anything else, Lord, you want to tell me? Anything else? Because you don't want to do what God said. You want to do what you want. The bottom line is you feel you're the God of your life and not God. That's the bottom line. Anything else? This one I always come to, wherever I preach. For some reason, you know why I come to this one, next one? I said, we refuse to return a faithful tithe despite the entire income is God's. Aside from the kingdom of God, the next heavy topic that Christ talks about has to do with finances. So number one thing is about God's kingdom. Christ talks about the most. The next thing is finances. Why is that? Because it seems that people seem to make money, number one. And Christ is like, I'm a jealous God. If I'm not number one, you can't be with me in my kingdom. I will not be fighting against somebody else again for your loyalty. I spent all this time fighting against the devil for your loyalty, so now I can't have a new earth and again fight for your loyalty. Uh-uh. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Let me in. Let me be king. But we're saying, anything else? Anything else? We find excuses to fit our predicament. The Bible says, God says, return a faithful tithe, period. And when I was dating my wife of almost 10 years, we had to talk about this before we walked on the aisle, because to me, it was a deal breaker. Before we marry, we talk about this stuff. If you're not willing to turn a faithful tithe, we can't go together. And not, not only that, though, it's even deeper than that. The money for the tithe must be taken out first. So if you get paid $1,000 a week, 100 bucks comes out before your rent money, before mortgage money, before tuition for, C, for, before tuition for CBCA, before you buy uh, fuel for whatever else, the tithe comes out first. He wants the first fruit, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. But we're saying, anything else? We want an excuse. Why? We feel that 10% could help me pay off my credit card faster. That 10% will grow my savings account faster. That 10%, you feel in the rest. Or so, some people say, do I trust 
what our church is doing with the money. They use that excuse too. Listen, I've been an essay all my life. I've seen this. I've seen it. I'm in my 40s now. I've seen it in board meeting. I've seen it all over. And I said, and I said this before, I don't care. This, this is the honest truth. I don't care if I saw the treasurer of this church and the head deacon take the tithe money and put it in a, in a, um, in a barbecue pit and lit, and lit it on, on fire. And I knew that the money I gave was in there. You know what I'm going to do next time I get paid? Give tithe again. You know why? Because if I don't give it, now I want God to come after me. Let God come after them. <laughs> Listen, it is, we're laughing, but it's so true. Let God deal with them. If they're using the money the wrong way, let God deal with them. Now, if I say, because I see that, I won't give, now God's going to deal with me. Because bottom line is, we must follow what he says. Get that through our brains and stop saying anything else. Don't be like Balaam. Anything else. Greed filled Balaam's heart and he proceeded to go and curse the Israelites and mount his donkey. It's amazing how God can show up in peculiar places and utilize peculiar things to do peculiar acts. As Balaam is riding his donkey to do what God told him not to do, the donkey refused to take him there. Didn't want to go. The angel of the Lord, and some scholars say that was actually Jesus. The angel, that was Jesus who came. Blocked the road on three different occasions, and Balaam struck his donkey each time. And on the third occasion, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Now, I want to pause for a moment. Way back in the Garden of Eden, the devil tried to open the mouth of an animal. And he uh, tricked Eve by lying to her and she ate the fruit, gave it to Adam, he ate the fruit, and we've been born in sin and shaped iniquity ever since. He never said who, I, who he was. He was like a ventriloquist behind the scene doing stuff. But over here, God opened the mouth of a donkey. And then it says, then God opened Balaam's eyes. There's no trick in here. I'm not David Copperfield or, or those people. Blaine. I'm not those people. Uh-uh. You were going the wrong direction and I want to stop this. After Balaam engaged in conversation with his donkey, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes to see him. God tells him that it's because of his donkey's obedience that he did not kill Balaam. After Balaam told his donkey that, he, that if he had a sword, he would have killed him because he made him look foolish. He still worried about himself, his pride. First he had greed, now he got pride. Donkey lesson number one. Now, some of you, some of you, uh, 
maybe older school than me, but I'm old school in a way where I can't have anything on top of the Bible unless it's a Bible, okay? But some of you are even older schools than me where you won't even write in the Bible. I, I write in my Bible and, and uh, I take notes. So like, for instance, highlighter. So if you don't want to write in your Bible, then have a separate sheet to write some of these notes. Donkey lesson number one. Okay? It's always wiser to honor your master above your master. Did you catch that? That's in verse, verses 23 to 27. So you have, a, you have capital master, lowercase master. I have a sermon called God versus God. Capital G versus lowercase g. So we have here, it's always wiser to honor your master above your master. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Let that sink in. You know what your lowercase master is. There's probably 200 people in here, whatever amount of people, and everybody knows in their life what it is. And it might be more than one. But we know, I'm talking about capital master, Christ the Lord. These are lessons from a donkey. I got these from the story we just read. The donkey knew I better put the master who created me before the master who's riding me. The donkey knew that. How about us? Lesson number two from the donkey. When you honor your master above your master, miracles All of a sudden, you thought that you should not return tithe because you want to pay some bill off. But you say, you know what? God said return it. And all of a sudden, God sends money your way. You had no idea. Miracles happen. But they happen after you step in the water. You don't say step back. Okay, open up. Red Sea, step in that water. When the army's behind you, come take you out. Step in that water. Miracles happened. That donkey's mouth was transformed to a regular mouth to speak. Remember that show, Mr. Red? Back in the day, before they said uh, action, they stuffed peanut butter in his mouth. And he was like, doing it. So then they had, so that he could talk, so, so to speak, talk. They stuffed peanut butter in his mouth before they said take, I mean, um, action. And he was doing that stuff, and then he would talk. But in this story, he was talking. Could you imagine you're riding your donkey and you beat him because you're mad that it's not going where you want to go and the third time you beat him, he says, hey man, why are you beating Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. 
It's one thing for a parrot. You know, you know parrots could mimic your voice. That's one thing. But a donkey, hey man, what's up with you? What's up with me? I'm out of here. But he, he stood there and talked to him. Back and forth, talking to the donkey. So, miracles happen when you put the master above your master. Miracles happen. And our third lesson, your master will honor your master. After all of that, Balaam had to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Fell down on his face. You are God. Lessons from a donkey. And we could stop saying anything else. Let God fight your battles. Those of you who sometimes read Spirit of Prophecy, Ellen White wrote in this book, Beginning of the End, page 218, the man who claimed to be a prophet of the Lord was so blinded by greed and ambition that he could not discern the angel of the Lord. How come when the donkey was riding, was walking, Balaam couldn't see the Lord? Because he was so set on anything else. I don't want to follow what God said. I want to follow what I want. He had blinders on. God told him the answer already, but that extra money came up. Will you compromise your walk with the Lord for the ching-ching? Is your allegiance to God up for sale? What is the profit of man or woman to gain this whole world but lose his or her soul? I'm not saying that you should be poor. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is know who your master is. Don't compromise your faith for the ching-ching because the ching-ching is going to burn up in the end. And if you could picture in your brain, I said this to my students at CBC and also in Florida, I said it so many times. If I walked in here this morning with 50 pounds of asphalt, I said, Parkwood, I got 50 pounds of asphalt. Boom. You would say, what's it doing in here? That's just all around the city, all around the USA. We drive on it, we walk on it. It's nothing. But if I walked in here with 50 pounds of solid gold, I said, Parkwood, here's 50 pounds of solid gold. Your eyes, boom. <laughs> so God is saying, your precious metal is my asphalt. Your precious metal is my lowest in the kingdom. You will walk on streets of gold. Do you think the angels are salivating over gold? That's asphalt. 
Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, our thoughts have not conjured up what God has for us. But we're stuck on anything else. God has something else for us. Ellen White continues, many times we do rush into our own paths, disobeying God's laws and cannot tell that God and his angels are against them. We get angry like Balaam at the very ones who want to help us. Some of you are mad at me right now because I'm saying, turn that tithe in. Who's this guy telling me to my tongue? I'm the one trying to help you. Get mad at me. What does the word said? I will open up the windows of heaven. Why did God not say the doors of heaven? Because there are three, four doors in here. How many windows? One, two, three. So, so if God want to pour out some blessings, which ones has more of a chance of you having more in it? Those four doors or have all these windows open up and have things coming in here? All these windows. God wants to give you so much, but can you handle it? Or are you still saying anything else? That's the problem. Get past anything else, and God will pour on you what he has, which is unlimited everything. That's our last slide. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As the music plays, think about this, people. There may be someone under the sound of my voice. Music plays. Who knows the will of God in their life, but is still waiting for anything else. Someone under the sound of my voice may be arguing with someone in their life that is trying to keep them in line with God's will. Someone under the sound of my voice may simply need to say, Lord, let your will be done in my life. If that someone is you, Please come give me your hand and give Christ your heart. Come to the altar where Christ alter your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If this sermon spoke to you, not your neighbor, not your husband, not your wife, not your cousin, but to you. Give me your hand. Give Christ your heart. Come to the altar where Christ can alter your life. Christ is calling. Will you answer? Anything else?
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Christ says, let me in. I won't force my way in. But once I'm in, I want to be first. What I say goes. Nothing else. Someone's wrestling in their minds right now. Should I get up? Folks will see me get up. But Christ got up and left glory to come to this planet. All of heaven saw him get up to become a person. Was that getting up worth your getting up? Please come. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Give me your hand, give Christ your heart. Come to the altar of your life. Amen. To keep me from falling. As we pray and have our benediction, I know you in your heart may have made that decision. Say, Lord, I'm tired of saying anything else. Reign supreme in my life. I pray that is your conviction. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this time in worship today. We ask that we would have a love for you that is clear in our brains, that we will not say anything else but your will will become our will. Bless us in this way. Be with all those who made a decision in their lives from coming up or from changing in their minds. Lord, you're first. In money, you're first. In relationship, you're first. In careers, you're first. In everything. We thank you. We love you. Save us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.